Welcome to the Restore Church Sermons Podcast. We're so glad you joined us here today. We hope that through this message, you are encouraged, challenged, and strengthened. If you want to know more about Jesus, Restore Church, or have any questions, please head to restorechurch.com.au. Good morning, church. Great to see you online this morning. To be honest, I'm actually really looking forward to the day when I can say good morning, church, to you when we're all in the same room. But anyway, we have this medium. It's good that we can be together. And I'm sure if you haven't already been blessed, which I'm sure you have, um, God is in this with us and in this word, even though we're coming through your screens. So good to see you again this morning. Well, this morning we're continuing with our series, Post-Pandemic Jesus People. And uh, the whole idea behind that, of course, is that we are looking at ways in which we can continue to be the church and to do the things the church is called to do, even in the middle of a world that is convulsing through some fairly significant change and will obviously go on changing. Things like serving and engaging and connecting. And this morning, I want to talk to you about giving. Now, just so I can check that I haven't lost anyone because I'm going to be talking about money, in the chat, I just want you all to type, preach it, because you are ready to hear this word this morning. Now, when it comes to talking about money, the church can fall into one of two opposite but equal errors. One is we can talk about it too much in the sense that we, we give the impression that it's kind of the most important thing. It's, it's the thing that God is more concerned about than anything else. And that overemphasis, unfortunately, is sometimes accompanied by some fairly sketchy theology and practices, and it kind of appeals to our kind of base nature to want to try and have this transactional relationship with God, whereby if we do something, he's going to do something even more miraculous for us, and we're going to be rich. Um, And that just gives us and and the church and God, it it gives us a bit of a bad name. And, And in response, then some of us fall into the other error, and that is we don't talk about it enough. And that, unfortunately, has the outcome of giving the impression that, uh, well, maybe money's not important at all. Maybe it's not something God is even concerned about. And that's just not true. Money and our use of it, our attitude towards it, our approach towards it and everything, that is actually very, very important. And by downplaying it, um, we give the impression that it's not. And, and I, to be honest, I think that's that's probably where we sit. I sit personally. In fact, the outline that I'm going to use with you today on this message, I, I used the last time I spoke about giving, which was over two years ago. And, and that's really not good enough um, because I think it's something we do need to talk about and we do need to talk about regularly, not as the most important thing, but as an important thing because it is important. Our approach and attitude towards money, our use of money is important. It is a discipleship issue. And so this morning, I want to give you three reasons why that is. And we've pre-populated the notes, so you'll have that there ready to go. And you can take, take these down as we go. The first reason I want to give you is this. It's about our personal integrity. When I was doing my uh, undergraduate theological studies, the very first essay I was given I remember it clearly. I remember every single word of this question. Three and a half thousand words it was. And the question was, according to Paul, is man bipartite, 
tripartite or a psychosomatic unity? Well, because I know that Jesus is the answer, I wrote Jesus three and a half thousand times and left it. Actually, that's not true. I, I kind of tackled this question probably really badly, but I tackled it anyway. Anyway, why do I bore you with this? Well, what the question was, was uh, are, we, are we a body and a soul or spirit? Are we a body, soul and spirit? Or are we kind of this interconnected, interrelated one thing? And the reason I, I bring this up in relation to money is because what happened, especially by the time of the New Testament, was that Greek philosophical thinking had so impacted the world that it crept into how we understand God and ourselves and our relationship and everything. And the long, story, the long and the short of it was simply this, that we actually began to be able to compartmentalize our lives into the kind of spiritual and the physical type of things. Um, so there was this kind of matter and earthly stuff that was, was bad, and then there was a spiritual stuff which was on a higher plane. And, and what that has done, is the best example of this today would be when we, we talk about our Christian life or our spiritual life as if it was somehow distinct and separate from the rest of our life. And I think one of the, the, the greatest examples I saw of this was last year when the head of a really well-known Christian university in the States made the comment that his personal faith in Jesus has nothing to do with his politics. That's a classic example of how this, creep, this thinking has kind of crept in. That, that there is this part of us that is about our faith and it's private and it's kept for Sundays and Bible studies and all of this. And then there's the rest of our lives, which is, which is more public facing sort of stuff. The sort of stuff we, we utilize when we go to work or school or socialize and all that sort of stuff. And these two things are kind of very separate. And so we can literally fall into the trap sometimes of thinking that we have a spiritual life and we have the rest of our life. The Bible doesn't acknowledge that. The Bible just recognizes life, all of life. We are the one thing. And I admit it's not always easy uh, to see how our faith is integrated into some aspects of our life, but it is integrated. It is not separated. It's about all of us and everything about us. The word integrity comes from the Latin word integer, which simply means whole. To have integrity means to be whole and undivided. And our relationship with God and following Jesus, our discipleship, is about all of us. It's about everything about us, every facet, our head, our hearts, our hands, our time, our talents, our resources. When we give our life to Jesus, everything we are, everything we have is included. He is either Lord of all or he's not at all. And that includes money. And Jesus even goes so far as saying that money is a bit of a litmus test for whether or not that's true of us. In the passage in your notes in Matthew 6, which is some of Jesus' longest teaching on giving and about money, he says, look, you can't serve two gods. You'll either love one and in loving one you'll, you'll hate the other. You cannot serve both God and he specifically mentions money. In other words, there's to be no divided loyalties. There can't be divided loyalties if you love me, you will worship me and follow me. But if you love money, you're going to love money and follow money. If you, you worship God, you will use money wisely. But if you worship money, you'll probably end up using God. He even then goes on to say, if you want to know where your heart really is, it's not, what you, it's not where you say it is. It's not what you think it is. Your heart is where your treasure is. If you want to know where your heart is, look at where your money goes. Follow the money trail. And then he says this really weird thing that looks a bit like, why, what are you talking about when you're talking about this money and then you go into this other? He says this, 
The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Well, what's he talking about there? Well, that was really an idiomatic way of talking about generosity. Having your eyes, your eyes are healthy and your body full of light was, a, was an idiomatic way of talking about generosity. In the same way that we might say that someone who is a little bit uh, tight with their money uh, or stingy is tight-fisted. It's that type of thing. And what he was saying is to have healthy eyes and to be full of light was another way of saying that a person was being generous. And these metaphorical eyes, they are the window to our soul. If you're generous, then you are full of light. So it is generosity. Not how well you know your Bible, not how well you quote your Bible, not how loud you sing, not how high you raise your hands, not how strongly you take a position on something uh, that you think God cares about is an indication of what's going on in here. Generosity. Generosity is one of the best indicators of whether or not the life and light of Jesus is actually within us. We cannot separate out our use of money, our whole approach to money, our relationship with money from our relationship with Jesus. And the first time I spoke about this, I, I, I told the story, the illustration of the medieval church. Now, the medieval church, weirdly enough, used to have this practice of hiring mercenaries to fight for them which is kind of crazy that, 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 that a church would actually hire people to come and sort of go to war with other people uh, on their behalf. But what they would do is that they would baptise these knights. When I say baptise, it's full immersion baptism, not sprinkling, right? Full immersion underwater. They would baptise these knights. But as these knights were being baptised, they would hold their sword arm and their sword out of the water, a way of making sure that they didn't uh, kind of violate God's ways of doing things. It's kind of bent, but at least it shows you a little bit uh, of how self-aware they were. They were saying, God, you can have all of me. All of this belongs to you. But my sword arm and my sword, well, that, that doesn't belong to you. So, Because I know, I know you don't go in for the killing stuff, but it's weird because your church is hiring me to kill people. Don't follow the logic on that. Okay. But I know you don't want me to kill people, but I'm, that's for that reason I'm keeping this arm and this sword out. They don't belong to you. And that's a great imagery for us in the sense that we might be able to imagine ourselves, like if you haven't been baptised or if you had been, been baptised, imagine yourself being baptised, going under that water. What is it that you're holding aloft from the water? What is it that you are holding out of the water? For some of us, genuinely, it could be our wallet. It could be, Lord, you get everything, but this, I, I retain the right to, to hold control over this. You, you get me in every respect, but, but I'm actually holding control of this. Maybe you didn't know that this is what, you know, that money is included in our contract with Jesus, if you like, that it's about our discipleship. Maybe you did, and you simply haven't been either willing or able to sort of go there just yet to start doing it. Maybe you're afraid that if you start giving some money and being generous with your money, you're afraid of how that's going to impact you. And that's completely normal and understandable. There's something very counterintuitive about giving money away. Maybe you don't quite trust God, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that too, but maybe you think you're not in a position to do anything about it right now, but, but you know, one day. What I want you to understand from this first thing that I'm telling you is this. Regardless of any other reason I give you as to why we should honour God with our money, 
is the bottom line is simply this, that it is an essential piece of our relationship with God. It is an essential piece of our discipleship. It's first and foremost about you, me, and Jesus. The second thing I want to talk about is the kingdom reality. Well, what do I mean by that? When Jesus began his ministry, he came saying, the kingdom of God is here. It is at hand. And then he began to heal people. He began to forgive people. He began to include people who had been marginalized and left out um, and considered unclean by the religious establishment. And in doing that, through what he was saying and through what he was doing, he was demonstrating that a new world, a new kingdom had broken into this world. And they now kind of coexisted. There was now this world within a world. And in this new kingdom, he was the king. And in this new kingdom, it operated the way God wanted the world to operate. And that's best exemplified in in the Lord's Prayer. You know, our Father who art in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth here as it is in heaven. That's what the kingdom is. Wherever God's will is done, that's where the kingdom is. So Jesus came announcing there is this new kingdom and I am the king and it operates the way God wants the world to operate. And the way this kingdom operates is pretty much the opposite of the way the world works. The normal rules in this world say that if you actually want to be first, you have to win at all costs. But the kingdom says if you want to be first, then you need to be prepared to go last. The world says that if you want to lead, you have to climb your way to the top, often over the dead bodies of a bunch of people or on the heads of other people. But the kingdom says if you want to lead and to be first, then you have to serve and you have to descend into greatness. The world says that if you want to get the most out of life, then live fearfully, clinging tightly to everything you have. Whereas Jesus says, if you want to find your life, you have to be willing to lose it and to give it away. And then there's the clincher when it comes to money. The world says, you want to have security, like real security? You never ever want to have to worry about where you're going to live or what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. That's easy. You just, you just hang on to everything. You invest it really smartly. You, know, you, you look after your money because if you don't look after you, no one's going to look after you. Well, the kingdom says, no, that's not the way to make sure that you'll have complete security. And look, if we're honest, security, if COVID has taught us nothing else, it's taught us that security is is actually quite an illusion. All right. So Jesus actually says, if you want real security, you want to to never have to worry about where you're going to live or what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear, then be generous with your money and seek first the kingdom of God. Now, I know it doesn't make sense, but there it is. And I don't understand how it all works. But the thrust of the Bible's teaching on money is thorough and consistent all the way through. It teaches the same thing. When we live freely and generously with our money, we will be looked after. When we choose to honour God first, he honours us. When we seek first the kingdom, everything else is taken care of. Now, if you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard about tithing. If you haven't been around church for a while, then, then, or you're new to this, then let me enlighten you. This is a good practical way of understanding how we can actually seek first the kingdom with our money. Now, the Bible mentions tithing a little bit. Not as much as some people tend to think that it it mentions it, but it does mention it. And it's nearly 100% in the Old Testament. It's only mentioned a little bit in the New Testament. 
To tithe simply means to give 10%. It's the practice of giving God the first 10% of what you have. So in the Old Testament, um, it was their crops. They would give the first 10% of their crops, their harvest that would come in. They would offer that to God. For us, it would be our income. And they give it first as a matter of priority, as an act of worship, an act of gratitude, as an act of faith. Now, some churches, they teach that, that you must tithe, like you must tithe. And they even have systems in place to make sure that they can track people's giving, to make sure that it's actually happening. I know, scary thought, right? Good news for people at Restore Church, we don't do that. We don't have the desire to do that, nor do we have any kind of system or mechanism in place by which we would be able to do that. That's just not the way we operate. But not only do we not have a system in place to do that type of thing, I'd go so far as to say that, look, I personally, and I think I can speak on behalf of of the, the church, we don't believe that you can mandate that people must tithe in the sense of making it a law. And I think, to be honest, if you make it a rule, it kind of misses the point. And if I can do a little sidebar at this stage. There's a temptation we we fall into sometimes of thinking just because we're not under law and we're under grace, then yippee, we can pretty much do anything because we're under grace and we'll be forgiven. I, I think that's a great misunderstanding of what it means to live under grace. To live under grace actually puts a greater responsibility on us to live even better because because it also, grace is also the thing that empowers us to do that. And so even though I say we don't believe in mandating tithing as a rule, if you read through the New Testament, it sees that it's, it shows quite clearly that, that if we're free from just like robotically handing over 10% of our money, we're actually called to a much higher standard of generosity. And I could appeal to Acts 2, Acts 4 and 2 Corinthians Second Corinthians <laughs> chapter 8. Not sure what's going on there. I hope it's not coming through too loud on your screen. Um, Second, Corinthians, Second Corinthians 8 for that, to show that, that we are called to a much higher level of generosity, not simply giving 10%. So that's a bit of a sidebar there. Okay. But having said that, that doesn't mean that we don't believe in the validity of tithing or, in fact, that it is an excellent practice. And I have two reasons for saying that. The first is that it is, uh, it has its reasoning and its roots in solid, timeless biblical truths and principles, right? Sorry, I've just been cued to move that away from my beard. Hopefully that will make the difference. It has its roots in solid, timeless biblical truths and principles. The first is gratitude. When we tithe, when we give our first 10% to God, it is an act of gratitude and thankfulness that is acknowledging, is a practical way of acknowledging that he is the one who gives us everything. Now, whether we get that, you know, I'm not talking about manna falling from heaven or money falling from the sky. We work for our money, but ultimately we, we recognize that God is the one who has provided all for us. And that is our first response. We give also because it is an act of worship, as per my first point. It is, God, I belong to you and everything I have belongs to you. And this is another practical way of demonstrating that your lordship extends over every aspect of my life. And thirdly, it is an act of faith. It was always given first. When in the Old Testament, the practice was to give the first 10% of the harvest. And to do so was an act of faith in the sense that they were saying, I'm giving this to you, God, because I know that in honouring you, you will honour me and the other 90% is going to come in without fail. 
So in my opinion, those truths and principles are all just as valid today. But the second reason I think tithing is not uh, is also an excellent practice is a really pragmatic one. It it works. And there are a bunch of us around today in this church that could tell you story after story after story about how God has miraculously provided for us because we have sought first the kingdom. The other day on my iPad, one of my Bible verses, I have it, it get notifications, it popped up. It popped up. And it was a verse, um, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it. And it, it, it was funny as I was preparing this that that came up because many years ago we were doing that very memory verse with our girls around a kitchen table one morning when I received a phone call to say that a fridge, which we hadn't ordered um, because our fridge had broken, was turning up. And, and someone had purchased a fridge for us because we couldn't afford to buy one because you know, we're poor, poor as church mice being church planters and everything. Um, and that was just one way. Another time in our early days at church planting, I think I was on some incredible money. I think it was like $250 a week or something. You know, we were just rolling in it. And um, I'd really, there was this conference going on in Perth and it was more than just a conference. It was, it was a really big thing that we'd been praying about for ages. And I actually really, really felt like I needed to go to this conference in Perth. But, but we didn't have the money to do that. I couldn't afford it. I think at the time it was $800 return trip. And uh, there's no way I could afford it. But, but we just said, okay, God, but look, if, you, if this is something you've put on my heart, you want me to go, then you're going to have to get me the money. Within, I don't know, five minutes, an hour, I can't remember the exact time frame, there was a knock on our door. Someone was standing on our doorstep and said, I was praying and I really felt like God told me to give you this money for an airplane ticket to go to Perth. Now, I know that kind of sounds a bit weird, and it's not been our experience all the time that there's literally people standing on the doorstep giving us money, but I can tell you this, we've never gone without. We've always had our needs provided for, always, and then some. It isn't a promise about excess and about getting everything we want, it's a promise that all our needs will be met. So, there are t- it's based on timeless truths and principles in the Bible, and it works. I think it happens to be an excellent practice. But let me add this as a bit of a clincher. God feels so strongly about this. It is the one thing he tells us we're allowed to test him on. He says, try me on this. Test me on this. See if I am not faithful to my word. In Malachi 3, God's people, it's an Old Testament thing, so God's people, they're they're not bringing in their tithes. Instead, they're looking after themselves. They've stopped bringing in the tithes. They're looking after themselves. And because they've done that, their crops start to fail. Their businesses start to fail. Things start to get worse. And they do what any reasonable person would do in those circumstances. They double down on holding on to things. And they grip even tighter to their stuff. And things just get worse. And God says, listen, let me explain how it is. The reason you find yourself in this position is because you've stopped giving. And so he says... Listen, bring the whole tithe into my storehouse that there might be food in my house. Test me in this, he says, and see if I don't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not enough room to store it. It's a big call, but it's the one area where God actually tells us that we can test him. And it's not a trick. It's not a dare. It's not like that. It's about God saying, you, can, you, are, you are welcome to test my faithfulness, my faithfulness to you. Now, we could say, look, it's an Old Testament thing. It's not strictly applicable to us. Fair enough. 
But when you read through this Matthew 6 passage that I've given you to look at and that I'm basing this on this morning, Jesus is pretty much saying exactly the same thing. He's saying, don't worry about what you eat or what you drink, what you're going to drink or where you're going to wear. He's not saying, don't be responsible in looking after yourselves. He's saying, don't go stressing and chasing after those things. Don't go making it your responsibility to look after yourself solely. Seek first the kingdom and I will then make sure that all these other things are taken care of. You can trust your heavenly father to do that. It's exactly the same promise. Honour God first and he will honour you. Take, God's care, take care of God's business first and he will take care of yours. Or you can continue to just try and look after yourself and see where that gets you. I know, as I said, there are plenty of people here who can speak from personal experience that when we trust God and that we do this, we have never been let down. And I know it's hard to believe sometimes, and I know it's really hard to do, especially when it's the last thing you feel like you can actually afford to do. And I know it doesn't make sense, but it's kingdom economics. It's kingdom reality. It works differently to the way this world works. And, and, and here's, here's the thing I want to leave you with on this point. This is not a command, right? You must tithe. Don't think about it like that. Don't think about it as a command. You must tithe. Think about it as an invitation. Think about it as an invitation for you to trust your Heavenly Father to look after absolutely every need that you and your family have. Not a command, an invitation to trust. Again, this is very much about you and your relationship with God. But it's always not, but it's not always just a personal thing. And this is the third point, right? There's a large part of it which is about all of us. So we had our personal integrity, we had kingdom reality, and the third thing I want to talk to us about is our collective responsibility. Now we always say that the church is us, that it's not a building, it's the people. We are the church. Well, that's true, but that has to go beyond being more than just a lovely notion. It has to be expressed in some very tangible ways, like the ways we've been talking about during this series. Engaging, serving, connecting, and now giving. The church is us and the responsibility for its health, for its ministry, for its impact and functioning rests with all of us. And that's why I love Acts 4.32. I'm going to read it to you. It says, all the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land and houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as they had need. How does it all start? All the believers, all the believers, right at the beginning. What I want us to see is that this collective generosity and responsibility was spontaneous. In that no one put them up to this. 
None of the apostles had gathered these early believers together and said, this is the way it's going to be. None of them had heard a podcast on giving. None of them had actually done any courses or anything like that. There was no geeing, external geeing up for the church to do this. I want us to see that right from the beginning of the birth of the church, birthed in them, inherently innate, implanted in the DNA of the church, was a spontaneous recognition to both take responsibility and be generous. It comes naturally to us. It comes naturally to the church. These days we talk about it and we learn about it, it's fine, but we need to understand it's part of our DNA. These people believed in Jesus. They believed in the resurrection of of Jesus. And the first thing they did when they got together was to manifest this spontaneous collective responsibility and generosity No external coercion or forces making them do it. There were no passengers there because it was everyone. It was all the believers. The church has a mission to fulfill and it takes all of us to fulfill that mission. It takes all of our presence, all of our engagement, all of our service, all our prayer, all our connection and all of our talents and resources, time and money. And it's no coincidence to me that verse 32 resulted in verse 33. Verse 32 says that all the believers were in one heart and mind and no one claimed any possession was their own, but they shared everything they had. And then we read in verse 33, with great power the the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are not disconnected statements, okay? One fuels the other. Because it's not hard to point to the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ when you're pointing, when, when everyone can see the generosity of the people who claim to follow him. Are you with me? One fuels the other. The generosity of all the believers was a testimony to the reality and the resurrection of Jesus. You can't fake this stuff. Now, now I know a little bit later in Acts that there are two people who try to fake it, Ananias and Sapphira. They're a cautionary tale for people who want to fake this stuff. And it doesn't end well for them. But, But one of the things Peter actually says to them is, You own this land. This land and this money was yours to do with as you want. You didn't have to give any of it away. Again, there's no coercion. There's no expectation you're going to do this. But they decided that they'd kind of try and at least get in looking like they were generous, but actually keeping back a large part of the money for themselves. But there was no coercion there. But there is no faking this spontaneous collective responsibility and generosity. We have a mission to fulfill, even in the midst of COVID, even in the midst of this almost unprecedented uncertain times. We still have a mission to fulfill. We, Restore Church, we're not the biggest church, we're not the best church, we're not the coolest church, but we are the church. And as such, we still have a thing to do. There are still people that we can reach. There is still an impact that we can make. We still want to see people's lives changed. We still want to see people healed and restored. We still want the good news taken out to people. We still are functioning even in these days. I want to see God adding to our numbers daily those who are being saved. Why not? Why not? Just because we can't be in the same room? That does not stop the mission of the kingdom of God. That does not hold God back one little bit. In fact, we could argue that this could actually take it even further. So we all have a part to play in that. It takes all the believers, and that includes you. Now, let me finish by saying this. This may be new to you. It may not, but you might have heard it all before, but it does require a response. Now, you might be thinking, yep, I get it, all right, you're right. 
but it's not a good time. Can I just say it's, there's never a good time? When it comes to parting with your money, unless it's something like buying a Lamborghini or something, there's never a good time to part with your money. You might be scared. You might think it's not possible, even if you wanted to. You might think, look, it's really in this time, with all this uncertainty. I refer to my other point about security being a bit of an illusion. Where are you putting your hope, your faith and your trust? Okay. But can I also say a couple of other things? This isn't about squeezing people for money. Okay? This is not about trying to get money out of people. This is about us being, thinking very carefully about where we are placing our faith and our hope and our trust and our security. Is it being placed in trust? Are we placing our trust in God or are we placing our trust somewhere else? And look, the other thing is this, there's no pressure in this. You are loved and welcomed and accepted just as you are and as just as much a valued part of this church whether you give or not and I would also go this far if you are struggling right now if you find yourself really in dire needs then let us know so we can help you this is why we are generous so we can look after people in need you may be in need right now then please let us know but if things are okay for us and you're ready to dip your toes in the water can I encourage you to start doing it today and not putting it off, like write down in the notes section today like what your next step is actually going to be. Because I was reminded once by someone, you only have a life of faithfulness by taking steps of faith throughout your life. It's cumulative. Okay? We don't just suddenly uh, wake up one day and find ourselves full of faith. We get there by taking steps of faith throughout, the, throughout our lives. Okay? You may not be ready to start the whole hog. You may not be willing to go so far. But start small, but at least start. I'll post some helpful tips this week in a blog for anyone who wants more information, but two quick pointers. One is prioritise giving. Prioritise giving. Before you do anything else, give first. Because I tell you what, once you do everything else and you look at the bank balance, you'll be less inclined to give. So give first. Prioritise giving. Secondly, percentage give. The reason I suggest percentage giving, whether it's 10% or not, you might even want to start at 2% is that the percentage remains consistent whether you're getting more money or less money and it just mucks us round in our minds a little bit less. What I want us to remember this morning though is this, more than anything else, this is about you and your relationship with God. This is about where you are putting your trust. Not, it's not about the church trying to get money out of you, it's about where your trust is placed. Do you trust that God will take care of all your needs if you put him first thank you for this morning look we're going to go into communion now and this morning as we go into communion could you all be praying even though we're separated at the moment we're all in our own homes could you be praying for this spirit of generosity to be poured out in the church could you be praying for those who are in need could you be praying for sensitivity in your own life towards the needs of others who may need you to be a blessing to them right now Let's start with that now and write down, as I say, write down the step that you are going to take today in regard to this. Bless you and we'll see you next week. Thank you.